Hey, Green Future Growers. Welcome to Season 3. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes for free or follow on your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. Want to donate directly to the show? You can buy me a cup of coffee where your donation goes directly to support the Green Organic Garden Podcast. It helps for thing, pay for things like hosting the MP3 files, maintaining the website. It's super easy. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Tuesday, January 19th, 2021. Tomorrow's the big day, the new election. Starting out a new year in the United States. I have an amazing guest on the line. She sent me the most beautiful book called The Contented Vegan Recipes and Philosophy from a Family Kitchen. And what a, I just recorded a video for Amazon and Instagram and stuff about the book because one of the things I love about it the most is I do not really have to go shopping for hardly anything to put in this. Almost Everything in it is already in my cupboard. She talks about this thing like the 80-20 rule where you're probably already eating 80% of your foods are probably plant-based and vegan and you, and, it, and you only really have to shift a little bit. I like the fact that like my husband is never going to go vegan, but I can see a lot of these recipes, me cooking only one meal and just adding just a tiny bit different. So he's happy. I'm happy, which is great because she talks about family matters. So enough about me. Here to dazzle you is Peggy Brousseau. So welcome to the show, Peggy. Thank you, Jackie. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. Like, you know what I meant to ask you in the pre-chat is, where are you? Are you... It says on your blog something about Minnesota, but I thought you were <laughs> not in the United States. No, I'm in London, central you London, are. in the UK. Okay. I was born in the States. I was born in Minnesota and uh, came over here as a girl and have stayed. <laughs> I have a British husband and two sons, and that's that's the basics. Well, how lovely is that? You know, I have very few regrets in my life, but one of them is definitely when I went to Paris, I was going to buy this $200 brown ticket to take the train to London. And it was like a, um, add on to my Paris ticket. And I didn't do it. Cause I just, yeah. I don't know why I thought I could get that same ticket once I got to Paris. And then when I got to Paris, it was like $600. Yeah. And so I didn't yeah. ever go to London and I, I, you know, it well, was all right, time, but I wish <laughs> well. there's still time. There it's is. A... I keep thinking, like, uh, I'm ready to move back to Paris. Like, I want to move to Giverny and live outside of Paris. Well, everything's different now, isn't it, since COVID? Um, <sighs> we all have to just, you know, put our luggage away and wait for a better time to travel, I think. Yes, but once it's over, I think people are really going to travel. And, like, there's days where I'm like, I am not eating at home for a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my husband laughs at me. He's like contented as a clam. He never needs to leave home and just, just like happy. And we do have a lot of garden fresh food, which is very nice. But I, I tend to, uh, I grew up in New York. My parent, my mom's an Italian and I just miss a lot of flavors and cooking and different yes. miss eating out and just all that fun stuff, but totally yeah. off topic. Anyway, Peggy, 
tell listener, I kind of always start out my show asking about your very first garden experience. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who were you with? And what did you grow? Well, I, I probably did the bean on the windowsill thing, as most five-year-olds do. You know, where you, you watch it swell up, and then the little root comes out, and then the little pair of leaves. Um, but my my family had a vegetable garden, and I think a lot of families did a couple decades, a few decades ago. <laughs> um, and so it was quite natural for us to, as kids, to run around and visit each other's gardens, nicking carrots or sweet, the sweet little um, spring onions. Um, so I was used to having edible plants around, that's certain. Um, but my proper experience was over here at the age of about 18 or 19. I um, ran a small holding for about 10 years. And that was my first proper introduction to gardening. And it was a little bit, you know, total immersion um, because it was, I was doing all of the work myself, but I, but it, I made it work on a small scale as um, I sold things to local um, delicatessens and some market stalls. I had a little round of people that I would deliver specialty items to, like the jams and chutneys that I made from my produce. Um, and after about 10 years, um, I relocated and then eventually came to London with my husband. And now we live in central London, um, where we use the Royal Parks as our gardens and my windowsill as what I can manage to grow on a windowsill, um, but recently we uh, we were given the opportunity to take an allotment, and I don't know if there are parts of the states that have these systems, but the city owns pieces of land and quite small packets, and um, they divide them into little tiny gardens, and instantly there's a waiting list for people who want to rent that space, and that's what we were we were on the waiting list and the phone call came and we snapped it up and now we have an allotment and it's not very large, but it's wonderful. As you can imagine, um, it's about six meters by four meters, something like that. So that's about 25, 30 feet by about 12 to 15 feet. And um, that's large. Well, it's large when you've not had anything, <laughs> but it's not enough to fully feed a family. Um, so we decided early on to just enjoy it. And But somewhere along the line, quite early in the smallholding experience, um, I became committed to organic gardening and to an extent this idea of no-dig gardening. Um, there were many influences at that time that basically steered me away from using a lot of uh, chemicals and so forth. And so th with the allotment, we're, we're partially kind of um, bringing it back to life again. We want to boost the number of earthworms, <laughs> for instance, um, and awesome. the number of visitors, you know, like birds and various insects, certainly the pollinators. And... Um, we already know there are frogs there, but maybe a hedgehog or so would be nice um, because it's that sensitivity to 
who else lives there. It's not all about us as gardeners, is it? It's about what we bring with us to the land. Oh, my gosh. Peggy, let's write a children's book together about the hedgehog <laughs> who moves into the garden in the middle of London. That sounds so amazing. Like, who would, like, you know, I see teachers, they get hedgehogs for pets. But wouldn't that be so cool? Like, a little hedgehog who moves into this giant garden in London's palace <laughs> gardens. Oh, my gosh. I can totally <laughs> picture it. Uh, what a delightful story. So, we have, like, community gardens, but they tend to be, you know, like a bed that's like four by eight not 25 what do you say 25 by 12 that sounds like a lot i mean yeah it wouldn't it's be right, maybe yeah. enough to feed a family but it's way bigger than any type of community garden bed here you know i've heard of people okay. like sometimes owning you know maybe they get two and they're i think they're i want to say they're about 20 dollars at least in montana it's like $20 a season, I think. Mm -hmm. I have no idea, to be honest with you. Um, well, how far do you have to go to get to this garden? That's the only downside, I must tell you. It's a bus ride and then a short walk. Oh, my goodness. A bus yes. ride? Like a yes. short bus ride or like an hour? Like a 10-minute? It's not an hour. It, if we're lucky, it's 20 minutes. And then a, then a 10 or 15-minute walk. But... That's part of the pleasure in a way because it gets us, it, it, it builds us into the mood, the anticipation of having some time there, um, just enjoying it. And in fact, that's one of my favorite things with a garden is to sit, <laughs> is to just sit. And because there are so many birds, if I must explain, it's not just our little allotment. It's a patch of ground with that, which has several. And in fact, I think there are about 30 allotments in the patch of ground that is devoted to allotments, you know, the, the one that ha has our allotment in it. And so altogether, that's quite a significant area. And so the, the wildlife is noticeable, if I can put it that way. Um, and that's p part of why I just like, we just like to sit and absorb it for a time. And because people plant such a variety of plants, um, we we also get into a bit of exchanging and chatting about things, and mostly people are organic. There's a, uh, I won't say it's contentious, but there is a little bit of a pressure on people to become organic so that they don't spoil other people's efforts. <laughs> uh, but it's very, very uh, friendly. There's a lot of camaraderie and, as I say, sharing of both information and little plants. For instance, we have... Um, a very interesting perennial kale. I don't know if you have that there, Jackie. Ours is called Taunton Dean. I can spell that for you if you like, if you're interested. T-A-U-N-T-O-N, -N, and then Dean is D-E-A-N-E. -E. And this is a magnificent plant. It's about, uh, it spreads about six feet in every direction and about four and a half feet tall. And it, basically replants itself whenever it leans over too far or you can take a little cutting and that's what we do when we share it with people um, and it's it's a very old form of kale and so it isn't structured quite the leaf structure isn't quite the same as you might expect from like a curly kale or um, a 
uh, what did Tuscan kale do you call it or, or Cavallo Nero the black cabbage kale anyway um, so we have a lot of fun with with that sort of we also have a big patch of sorrel which again is a perennial that's been there for you can tell <laughs> it lives there and so that's another thing that people come and say could I just take a little bit and so we we share a little portion of that plant and and so that's how the allotments work um, they're kept private by just a lock and key at a gate and otherwise it's do what you like um, and plant it the way you like and so that's our gardening my gardening experience at the moment well it does sound lovely <laughs> uh well i was gonna ask you what were you growing in your very first allotment back when you were like 18 or 19 but i don't know maybe well, you just want to talk about what's growing well right now well that was a very formative experience it really um it it helped me become aware that, that I had an affinity for gardening and that uh, a certain way I wanted to do it. Um, and that was nine acres, actually. So. Um, oh my goodness. It yeah, that's a proper small holding over here. So there was a small meadow, and some areas where I planted trees. I planted nut trees predominantly, so walnut and hazelnut and a sweet chestnut and hoping that you know I would stay there for a very long time and be able to harvest all that um, and there was a pond um, and then I had a, a massive vegetable garden an orchard with 52 apple trees a few pear trees and a cherry tree some bullis which is like a wild plum which grew in the hedgerows and all of that became part of what I did to earn a living. Um, and that's one of the main differences is that with no the allotment. No wonder you were making chutneys. Yes. With the allotment, it's, it's pleasure and it's for family. But with the small holding, it was, it was a life, lifestyle uh, and a career, I suppose. And so it had a different uh, set, sense of scale. As you can, like the allotment that we have at the moment has one apple tree, whereas I say I had 52 <laughs> at that time. So did you have other people helping you? Nine acres is a lot of land for one person, isn't it? That sounds like a lot of work. It, it was a full-time job, yes. Yes, that, that's, as I say, that was my job at that time. Um, I... I did employ a few people, but then, like with the, um, that was very intermittent. It was only only as necessary. With the orchard, for instance, when you get all that glut of apples, right. they all ripen at the same time. And there is a vinegar manufacturing company over here who would come and collect the windfalls. <laughs> now, that was a huge uh, weight off my back because I didn't then have to collect them and it was just a nice exchange I got a little bit of income from that but they basically solved what was at that point a problem because I wasn't set up to produce vinegar or anything appley at on that scale at that time so 
there are a lot of useful um, cooperative acts that could that happened at that time that helped me enormously. But what that period also did for me was it made me realize that I didn't not I did not want to be part of I did not want to run a, a small holding that included animal husbandry, and I became vegetarian first, and then I adopted a vegan diet some years later. And that's what my book celebrates, really. It's kind of a, a, a merger, really, between that idea of the diet and really my, um, my enthusiasm for plants. I, I think they're the world's greatest teachers, in a way. And uh, I've encouraged people in, in The Contented Vegan, I've encouraged people to get to know plants a bit. Often people eat something plant-based or as part of their meal, and they actually don't know what part of the plant they're eating. And I think just simple steps like learning, is that a root? <laughs> is that a stem? Uh, most of us know what a leaf is, but it's, it is surprising the level of um, at which people are not informed about these things. And I don't blame them. It's because... Um, so many people don't have access to a garden and don't have the experience of growing even one single plant in their life. And again, in, in The Contented Vegan, I encourage people to involve children because I think they naturally have this interest and it's, it's no difficulty to help a child plant a bean and grow, grow it into a beanstalk to plant a potato and see how that divides and grows and to let them harvest it. And, of course, the most um, exciting of all for a child is a pumpkin. <laughs> to, to, to grow a pumpkin plant and then see what that little single seed produces this amazing bounty of bright orange. I think that's wonderful for a child. Pumpkins aren't easy to grow here in Montana, I'll tell you that's one thing. But you you can grow a pretty big squash. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm an elementary school teacher by trade, but my all-time dream is to be a children's book illustrator, hence my idea about the hedgehog book. How can I? Well, tell us about something that did grow well in your allotment this year then. Did you grow a pumpkin? No, we didn't because... Um... The, London went into lockdown in March. And oh, so you didn't get to do your garden this year? No, because it, it's a bus ride away, and we were discouraged, that's an understatement, from using public transport. And so the pumpkin didn't happen. But we did plant a lot of herbs, and herbs are one of my favorites, again, because they um, they invite the bees, the pollinators, and everyone loves herbs. And so we, I use them a lot in the foods I cook. And they're very, very pleasant to, to, for, their, for their scent and for their flavors. And they're also easy to share with other people, a little cutting here and there, or just to take some dry sprigs and share them with people. So the, the, the herbs went well. Wild strawberries. I don't know if you use those where you are. They're very 
good at growing as ground, you know, ground cover between plants. You could say they're invasive, but they're harmless. So, um, and they produce these little, very, very tasty strawberries at the very tiny, but tasty strawberries at the end of the season. Um, so the sorrel and the kale persisted, and so did the apple tree. Um, and really, the most successful were the herbs this year because. We couldn't get in there to do the, the sort of standard vegetables that would have been planted in March. But the herbs worked and they just took care of themselves. <laughs> and so it's been really pleasant to see them, how they've thrived. So interesting. You know, one of my other guests is this woman, Pauline Pierce, who also is in London. And she plants her allotment because so they can go to France through most of the summer and just comes back and harvest it in the fall. So she's kind of got her set up uh, automatically. So interesting. I love herbs. Now, do you grow any herbs in your apartment in London? Because I just talked to this woman in Chicago who's like, I cannot keep an herb alive in my apartment and I want to like send her a plant. I'm like, what can I do to help her? But Meanwhile, I'm sitting here. I don't have an herb growing live in my kitchen, which is very unusual. I do have sage growing in my garden that I can go down and pick a fresh leaf. But most of my herbs I do grow, I dry and have in jars. Nice. Um, but do you grow any fresh herbs like in your apartment in London? Are you in an ap apartment? Yes, in, we're in. A, yes, you they call it a flat, a flat, flat here. Yep. Um, and we have a, a, a south-facing windowsill uh, in the kitchen. And so that's a perfect place for them because herbs do like a lot of, a long, a lot of strong sun. And that increases the natural oils in their leaves. And, of course, the oils are what hold the flavors and the medicinal qualities of the herbs. So the more sun um, your woman in Chicago can, can find for her plants, the better, I would suggest. Um, but I... It's it's a, uh, I so I grow, grow basil and a little bit of tarragon, and we've had a tiny bit of mint, but mint <laughs> mint does want to take over, so it's it's mostly the basil and the tarragon, yeah, on the kitchen windowsill. And then what we do for extra kind of fairly fresh herbs is we use the farmers market. We're very very lucky. Um, to have a, a, a weekly farmer's market that comes to us just in our neighborhood. So we can walk there with a, a shopping trolley and um, basically buy all the veg we need for the week. And that is a, a fantastic kind of completing the circle for me because I used to be a grower. And so to, to get to know a few people who are fairly local, they're usually within 100 miles, um, they have their own small holding or their own larger farm, and they bring the produce in, and you can tell it's quality pro produce, and it's fresh, usually not more than two days old, um, which can be a challenge for for other producers. So, um, And there's always a seasonal variety. So it's not as though it's shipped around the world three times or stored for a long period. It's fresh out of the ground, and we can tell that. And that's a, a real uh, positive for our lifestyle here in central London. 
I was just watching Charles Dowding on YouTube yesterday. And I I don't know where he's at exactly, but um but he was so inspiring. It was really neat to see. It was his January first video, what he had growing and just I think I'm gonna be hooked on watching his um his little fresh seasonal uh gardens. Do you know who he is? No, I don't. Uh, he's he's just I I th I want to say he's a market gardener, a hundred miles to go to market. See, and I bought at going forty five to sixty five miles to go to market. Of course, London's going to have a much bigger market than where I'm going to get to at forty five or sixty five miles from my house. We just have a very small market. My husband and I live in rural Montana, so yeah, in our town once a week. So if we were going to like go to market we would have to either go if we wanted to go like the four markets there's one a tuesday and one on a thursday and one on saturday um we would have yeah. to drive quite a ways but yeah. we're not anywhere near going to market anyway completely off topic although i i do love your ideas of cooking chutneys and because we do have quite a few fruit trees like that sounds lovely do you want to share some of the recipes from your cookbook or tell listeners about your, you know, more about your transformation or any of that? Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, well, um, it, as I say, it's this kind of uh, collision, if you like, of um, really coming to life, understanding plants when I was a, a young woman running, running the smallholding. And then over the years, um, shifting from an omnivore to a vegetarian to a vegan diet and raising our two sons on a vegan diet and basically having been vegan for 30 years plus, it's more like 35 actually, um, I, I, I found that there were a lot of uh, pr problems or questions that people had and they didn't know how to resolve them. So I just started to pool my my solutions that, that I would offer people, as well as the recipes that my family ate and adored. And that's what the book is. It's a, it's a, a discussion, if you like, that includes a lot of recipes. Um, it's very personal in the sense that they're simple recipes. I know they work because our sons have grown up on them. And also to introduce people to the, the thought process behind uh, a vegan diet or a vegan way of e eating. And it always taps back into this idea of the source, which is your plants, and from them, the soil itself. And it, it's a no-brainer then to realize that to, to run a garden or to select produce that's organically grown is a way of um, supporting a natural cycle and making sure that it's kept uh, as pristine as possible. I mean, we're a long way from that collectively. There's still a huge amount of work to do, but if we can just, in a sense, take baby steps, just do something within our own uh, way of life at the moment um, to slightly alter our diet, to uh, welcome pollinators into our garden even if it's only one plant um, 
to to waste less food somehow. Um, there, there there are a number of really important things that each one of us can do that will kind of help to build a more organic world. Um, and so that's what I've been drawn back to over and over again as I wrote The Contented Vegan. And so the recipes, I mean, I have included, I couldn't help myself, even though I'm not in a position to grow a bounty crop of tomatoes. I have included a recipe for tomato compote, for instance, where because even at the farmer's market, when there's a glut of tomatoes in season, you can get them really cheaply. And so take that, take a box of them home and make your own, you know, tomato puree or tomato compote, that sort of thing, um, where you can just take it a bit further and celebrate um, your contact with the plant world and food plants especially. Um, you mentioned earlier about the 80-20 rule, and that's one thing that's very important, I think, to encouraging people to, to, to just try. Just, you know, check out your own diet. If you've had a hamburger in the past week or something, and you take away the hamburger and put a bean burger in, instead, that simple act changes um, your, your meal to a plant-based one. And it, it's true of many, many meals that it's a very simple switch to just remove all or part of the animal-based produce and replace it with plant-based produce. And it doesn't have to be um, sort of highly refined plant-based produce either. You can do a lot just from uh, natural whole foods and kind of just to substitute them for a meat or animal-based product. Um, so that idea of checking out which 80% which, uh, 80 of your diet is already plant-based and then just focus on what little changes you can make to the other 20% to move it in the direction of uh, plant-based. I've also talked about kind of the four main reasons why people switch to a, a plant-based diet. And environment really is increasingly important for that. And again, this always circles back to me to how are we treating the land and what are we, what are we growing on it and how are we growing it. So the idea of organic gardening really floats my boat. <laughs> uh, it's really important, I think. And I, in fact, encourage people as they work with the 80-20 rule, to think, okay, well, uh, seek, seek for variety in your food, but also move towards organically grown food, perhaps locally grown as well. Um, sometimes they're the same. Um, both of them provide greater nutrient value in a food, and usually, especially if it's locally grown, um, little of that value is lost because it, it's... The transport time is so brief. Um, also tying in with organic gardening is um, the idea of foods that are in season. Again, their nutrient profile is much higher. And it, it, to me, it's a no-brainer that um, you select what's grown in your area, grown without chemicals and in an organic manner as much as possible. Select for variety, but also what is available now. 
there's usually uh, a lot of good done to, to one's health by eating foods that are in season. When you, when you, the first fresh crops and especially greens come in, in in March or April, I think we're all very hungry for them, aren't we? And um, uh. yeah, <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah. So here's one. I'm. I, I know it's an American thing, but apple butter, it's straight from my small holding. That's a recipe that's in here. Um, and it's uh, another one here is called an iced midsummer tisane, which is about use, using a lot of the herbs from the garden. I'm um, also a recipe, if you can call it that, that just involves seasonal greens um, and how you select to kind of marry the taste, different flavors together and, and in what proportion. So you could have bitter and sort of lemon scented and something a bit herbal as, and flowery as well. Um, so all of these things are are directly inspired from my experience of the smallholding and to some extent from the allotment that, that um, we garden at the moment. So... Even though you didn't get to go there very much, was there something that didn't work out the way you thought it was going to this year that maybe didn't turn out the way you were expecting? Yes. You know what? I uh, The lemon balm did not do well, and I've never seen lemon balm not do well. That's Melissa Officialis, and uh, I wonder if it's because we planted that little patch next to a new plant Um an echinacea plant, which I have never grown before. And I wonder if there was some antagonism between them. So if anyone knows, please let me know via via your website, Jackie. Um, or on your website. Puzzle. I love, I'm thinking, I need to change my website because like on your homepage, the very next button says, ask Peg. And how ingenious it's like, here, post your question and then to get the answer, just subscribe to my newsletter and I'll answer it in the next newsletter. Like that's, that's awesome. Especially we just started doing this grow live thing where my listeners can ask my partner, Patty, but, um, they can, they can find you there or yeah, they can find me. That's at, um, PeggyBrusso.com. P-E-G-G-Y-B-R-U-S-S-E-A-U.com. And if if people do want to go there, I'm um, offering a free download of a vegan action plan. Yeah, it just helps helps people shift a little bit, get the idea. Seven days to change your world. That's it. Yes, yes. So I would welcome that because it's um it's an ongoing discussion, really, it is. isn't it? This whole idea of what we're going to do to feed all the world's people and how can we make uh, the, you know, we're losing a lot of topsoil and um, just the soil in general, I think is being impoverished by mismanagement in some way. And if each one of us, if we're able can just gain a little bit of an understanding of what difference it can make to encourage uh, many, many life forms to live in a small patch of ground. That's what we're meant to do, I think. And I feel like the theme for season three that's already coming through um, is 
you know, connecting back with nature, mm. very local, like it is not big government that is going to change this. It is up to us as individuals, as to steward the land that's in our charge, to support the local farmers, to go to your farmer's market or find local produce or buy from your neighbors or trade with your neighbors or grow something with your neighbor. Very community-based, like, we have just got to get out of our heads. Oh, I'm waiting for the government to do it and start doing it. And and whether it's with your dollars or your shopping. And, like, I interviewed Bob Quinn I think last year he came out with a book. It was either 2019 or July of 2020. And he challenged me to just try to buy one more thing organically when I go to the store. And so now I find there's all sorts of, like we started saying when we buy oats, we're buying organic oats. So now I'm buying a 25 pound bag of oats but organic oats at a time. And like, we have not bought non-organic oats in a really long time. Now my husband's a baker. So we go through a 25 pound bag of oats quite frequently. Like there are certain things that are coming our chicken food. Now our chickens are eating organically. Um, like I find when I go to the grocery store, I try to shop and at least buy in the organic aisle more. I definitely look there more where before I didn't even look there because it just was so extremely over. It's still like I went to the grocery store yesterday. Still much of it is prohibitive. I could not bring myself to pay $4 for six stalks of kale. Like I just can't or Swiss chart. It was Swiss chart. I just can't bring myself to do that. But what do I do? I don't buy Swiss chart. Now that being said, I did whip up a delicious, um, Swiss chard and my friend Lisa had given me a squash and I had made some beans for Mike to make chili with. And I think I did put scrambled eggs in it because I am a pescatarian. And so, Mm -hmm. um, with some fresh, some fresh and some dried herbs, because like I was telling you, I brought that sage in and I always love sage with squash. And then I had some dried oregano and that just made the most lovely meal because I had Swiss chard frozen in my freezer. Now my husband and I did finally invest in a chest freezer and that was a huge game changer for us this year. Um, we don't have a root cellar, which I wish we did, but um, yeah, just that little bit of local taste and, and having that, but yeah, it's amazing that you can support your local a little bit more than I have been in the past by just adding one more thing. And then, you know, now it's like, I can't even imagine not buying organic goats anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you've noticed a difference in flavor in those at all, but I'm, I, I always encourage organic as well as whole food because so much more of the nutrient value is included and the flavors remain and you talked about a game changer that for me is really a powerful incentive and there's also that i don't know if you remember that old saying every note's a vote that if you spend to support uh organic growers um well, to support yourself in a way, but if you spend in a way that that abides by your deeper uh, wishes, then somehow you, you you enter into you get involved really in that transition away from government, waiting for the government to act, 
and you become more active yourself, more decisive. And by every vote to note, when you first said that, I was thinking musical notes, but you're talking like a dollar bill, like yep. every dollar that you spend is a vote. And the, exactly. it's so true. The market's going to follow where do our dollars go. I yep. think one of the struggles we have in the United States is that, and and like Robin Kelson's mind always comes to head. I hear her saying, you know, we only spend as Americans, a very small percentage of our dollar on food compared to the rest of the world. But then I was also thinking Robin lives in this very, um, she, her lifestyle, like my wages as an elementary school teacher, she's a patent lawyer. <laughs> and so maybe 40% of her paycheck is closer to 80% of mine. And that's why she can afford to shop at the farmer's market. And I'm, you know, reduced to like Walmart and my local grocery, you know, like a lot of times food at the farmer's market, no matter how much I would like to buy it, I, you know, I just, I just can't afford it. You know, my, it, it's just, you know, this is, this is the country that we're living in right now is people, to me, well, people are spending a lot more than 40% to eat at, you know, to buy a lot of the processed food that's subsidized. I think it's very, it's a lot harder than most I, people realize to afford healthy food, which is ridiculous. Our government it should is ridiculous. be helping yeah. us. Well, I, I, sorry, I, I've, I've costed our weekly bill and we spend probably half of what we used to spend buying from a supermarket by using our farmer's market. Um, I don't know why that difference should exist here, you know, from where it does, from what it is for you. Um, there are one or two very expensive stalls there, but um, we can buy organic produce at, as I say, about half the cost of the supermarket. And oh. we get to know the growers as well. It's a very positive experience for us. Um, the, the other thing, I mean, oh, it is, it is a difficulty, but the other thing is like, if, if you talked about chard, if you can't find something that's within your price range, uh, but you have the, the recipe that you want, just use something else, use a different leaf <laughs> or, or, I mean, I, I know there's always an in-season leaf or something that will substitute. That's my experience. Well, the funny thing is, so I'm making these like salad jars and what I was really looking for was the tomatoes were so cost prohibitive. I was like, well, maybe I'll just chop up the chart. Like I love, I love to replace celery with chard and I was not actually looking for the leafy part. Cause like I said, I have the leafy part frozen in my freezer, but I've been like trying to make these, I'm thinking about starting like this lunch salad club where people could oh, buy a week's worth of salad from me. Um, cause I generally don't even put tomato. I rarely ever buy tomatoes. My husband either pickles me beets and that's my red or I pick raisins. Like I generally like tomatoes. They have no nutritional value. They're coming so far, you know, so far away. They're, you know, bred for how long are they going to last? But I'm thinking that other people, if I'm going to sell these down the line to this lunch club subscription idea, tomatoes are something that people were going to want. But this week, the tomatoes were so prohibitive. I was like, well, what else could I put in there? I was like, oh, this chard. And, the, and But the kale was on sale. And I was like, oh, 
I don't know why I thought the charge was the kill, and I was willing to pay two ninety nine for it, but I wasn't willing to pay three ninety nine for it. Especially, I wouldn't need like four that it was going to raise the. It was like almost going to double the price of the salad in the jar yeah. just to add that little red color was what I was really looking for. As much as you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have a really hard time also peeing that for kale because my husband grows so much kale, and I do have it in the freezer. Um, so that's one of the ones, but yeah, you're right. There is usually some form of a substitute that you can buy. I'm yeah. a firm believer in that. of something locally grown that yes. will, uh, and what did I find? I think I bought rat. I think I ended up getting radishes. Okay. There we go. Nice red. Some red. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of bite to them. Yep. And then I made these weird pickled radishes this morning with like, this friend of mine was like, you should pickle those radishes with rice vinegar. And so I sliced up the radishes and put them in the rice vinegar. And then I went online to see, is that all I'm supposed to do? And then I found a recipe for quick pickled radishes that like you boil the vinegar with some water and some sugar and some cayenne and some ginger. So then I tried that. So I'm going to see, I'm making these like little test things because the first batch I was surprised in the glass jars how much longer it lasted. The salad did last a full seven days in the glass mm-hmm. jars, which was really mm-hmm. nice. Um, but they were the most bland salads ever. So I'm trying to figure um, out, like, one thing I didn't do is I make a killer salad dressing. And I did not, I didn't, I'm going to play with the salad dressing. One of the things that yeah. makes it a killer salad dressing, though, is... I put fresh herbs in it or freshly dried herbs. And I always feel yes. like that, that mixture. And then also like, it's always different. Like that's what I love about making your own salad dressing. One day you're going to have an extra scoop of oregano. The next time you're going to have more, you know, sage or more tarragon. Yes. Like every time you make it, it tastes a little bit different because you just, you know, you're grabbing a handful of herbs. So yeah, it's going to, it just, I love that part. Yes. That's ex- very exciting. And it, that's, it's very seasonal as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. I love growing herbs for like so yeah. many reasons. Like they come back every year. The bees love them. You know, the chai flowers are so, all the flowers are so pretty. The sage flowers, the tarragon flowers, it. the oregano flowers, you know, you don't have to do a lot. They, they spread, they grow, they add flavor to your food. Like I can think of a million reasons why herbs are so good for your garden. That's right. One of the favorite meals here, a very quick meal is, is pasta um, with whatever herbs are freshest and maybe, you know, a handful of other leaves that are available in season. And just to very quickly saute that with some garlic maybe, or a bit of onion that takes 10 minutes max and suddenly you have a meal very very flavorsome meal as you say and a delicious meal absolutely and Mm. yeah like you said easy to make yeah so where are my questions you're probably like this (laughs) woman's just like totally off and uh well i was just gonna say the the pickles the the radish pickled radishes you um the there's room, isn't there, for people to do these things and, and sell sell them to a delicatessen or, I don't know, some sort of community um, stall, if that sort of thing happens locally, where you you offer what you've produced, a little bit extra, 
sort of, you know, putting herbs in oils, um, like tarragon oil or basil oil. And similarly with the vinegars, where you make a wine vinegar or, um, you know, in, infuse the the fresh herbs in the vinegars. And people will, will buy those if there's anyone out there who wants to sell a few byproducts of their garden. Well, it's interesting. It started from two things. I had this one guest on who talked about value-added products like Montana in the state I live came through with this thing called the Cottage Food Bill where they're trying to encourage farmers to find some other things to maybe help them through the winter by like either producing baked goods or helping them make a product. Maybe they make baked goods and then to get it into the store and then to like, you know, to grow business. Um, by doing these local things. And then I also happened to talk to this, my, I'm begging my stepdaughter to buy a food truck with me and to start a food truck business because for one, she ran a pizza food truck, a wood fire pizza food truck for two years. So she knows, you know, the ordering and she knows the managing and the staffing and she knows everything about, she was a great manager and I worked for her and I desperately need a job and I want a job where I'm getting exercised. And so this guy had this thing called vegetable, this food truck. And so I was, I interviewed him and he was saying, Jackie, you know, a food truck is a real grind and you know, all these Hmm. things. He's like this salad, local salad club for one, it's a subscription method. Like the people order from you on Thursday they pay for it on Thursday and then you deliver it on Monday. And he said the glass jar thing. So then they can recycle the glass jars. And he says it's just a much more successful business model because one, there's zero food waste. You're not yeah. harvesting things and having to go to market. You're not having to worry about driving the truck around. Like he said, the truck ended up mostly just being his um, clean kitchen and he would end up actually delivering things in his car. And they would maybe take the truck to like places where, you know, it was more, it became more of an advertising tool. Oh yes. yes. And so, um, I don't know. He was just giving me some, some tips and, and whatnot. So I kind of posted in the community Facebook group to see would there be any interest. And I also, like I was telling you, I'm an elementary school teacher by trade. If somebody had done this for me, I would have been all in. And he was yeah. also saying that it it's better instead of just getting $2 for your head of lettuce out of your garden, if you're selling, now he was selling more of a meal. So he was getting like $10. And right now I don't have any lettuce. So if I was going to do this in the middle of January in Montana, I would have to buy all the ingredients. So, but the first jars I kept in my fridge just to try to see, it pretty much cost me $7 to make seven jars so it would be a dollar for the ingredients and a dollar for the jar, plus my time. I don't know. So it was working out in some ways better, but like the two things I'm trying to figure out is like, so I was thinking like maybe the tomatoes could go in the salad dressing and that would be like in a little mini jar and then the salad would be in the... um in the regular jar, because I'm afraid the tomatoes in the, in the glass jar are, would like make the salad go bad. But I used really cheap iceberg lettuce, which did have a huge shelf life. So like I said, they did last seven days, which I was only hoping they would last five. I didn't even think they would last five. 
Mm. Anyway, that's why, that's why I chose preserved foods when I was selling them. Um, like the chutneys. The chutneys and the jams and jellies. And I think these days I would add sauerkraut or pickles of some sort because um, subscription, sometimes people don't know if they are going to be able to use that food next week. Maybe their lifestyle isn't as regular as we might expect. Um, and I think if, if a food can be stored for a little bit longer, even if it improves in flavor over that time, which, which some of the pickles do, um, then you, you, can, you have everything, all the advantages you've just mentioned, like you can recycle the jar and so forth. But there's a longer shelf life, a natural shelf life for that product. There is. My husband always said if we went to market, we would want to save pickles. Pickles yeah. now, on the flip side, are, I don't even think they're considered a cottage food. I think they are something that you have to, like, go. That being said, when I worked at a restaurant two summers ago, um, they, the Amish people brought, that was one of the local things that this restaurant bought from the local Amish farmers. They would come in with a pickle bucket, you know, yeah. like once a week while I was there mm -hmm. and deliver the pickles to the back door. So it sure. can be done. It's, but you can't sell. My husband was always like, we would give away pickles to kids. Be like, here, here's our thing. And that is one thing you can't do. But did I read something in your cookbook about sauerkraut and fermented foods are really yes. good for you and they're a source of B12 or folate or something that we don't normally get like wasn't there something in there well B12 is is up for discussion as far as pickles are concerned but what happens um pickled pickled foods sauerkrauts um uh basically anything that you would pickle and preserve in that way they they are full of enzymes so they are, especially if you don't pasteurize, especially, and those enzymes combined with some of the vitamins that they produce as they work on the, on the food item, um, create probiotics in your gut. And so you yourself are, are harvesting your own extra nutrients. And the, the, uh, the, the enzymes help to keep the, the food as well, just for that little bit longer. So it's a very, very, very healthy process. But I understand that governments um, are worried about food spoilage and, of course, foods that are very um, alive, like a, like a pickle is, a sauerkraut is, because of the, the enzymes working. Um, they can spoil if they're not well cared for. Most people know the rules for that. You know, they know not to you know, leave a, a metal fork in the, in the jar, but to, you know, put the lid back on and put it in the fridge or, um, you know, just take care. Yeah, you're so right. Hmm. Well, Peggy, I don't want to waste, you're probably super busy. So this would be the part of the show called getting to the root of things. Do you have a least favorite activity you got to force yourself to do in the garden? Mm hmm. No, I mean, uh, for the allotment, the, the, the least favorite thing was getting there, you know, taking the bus. <laughs> I had a feeling you would say that. Yeah. Um, it was good for us in a way because it helped us shift 
away from work and into the garden. So we used the transition for that. But that was my least favorite thing. Um, How often did you go? Like once a week, once every two weeks, like every couple of days? Every couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. As often as we could, actually, (laughs) in the end, because it was so satisfying to just be there and just work with the herbs, just tidying things. Um, you know how it's, uh, we found it very, very restful. And I mean, it's va- very active, but it's very restful in another way. It's a different sort of work, isn't it? It doesn't take your, your mind away. <laughs> so. Now, how old were your kids? Were they little or were they high school? Or like how old were your kids when you were doing this? What, the allotment or yeah. the small holding? The allotment, they're, mm-hmm. they're young adults. So, um, And like, would an, they go with you or could they go yes. play soccer in a field or swing on the park while you were working and you could see that them or they would come <laughs> to the garden? Yeah, that sort of thing. So, <laughs> yeah, there is in fact a playground right adjacent to it. That was one thing I noticed about Paris too. They're, Kids, kids were with their parents. Like when you go to New York, cause I, cause I grew up outside of New York. And so going to New York city, like when I go back to visit my mom, we always go to the city or just, I just don't feel like I saw, I see parents with kids walking with their kids anywhere near as much as when I was in Pierce, there were always fathers with their kids on their scooters or fathers playing soccer in the park. Like I feel like I saw more fathers, more parents, more mothers with their kids walking down the street than I usually do when I'm in New York City. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I I think that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Oh, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side, what's your favorite activity do in the garden? Is it just to sit there and enjoy it? I do like, I think the herbs are are my favorite part and I love uh, the fact that the bees come because we've chosen um, the sort of most fundamental uh, variety of each herb. We haven't gone for the hybrids. And so the bees do tend to work harder with those. And sometimes the sound of buzzing, <laughs> it's just extraordinary to, to, to sit and hear that and listen to it. And then, of course, just watching the birds, knowing that there are frogs there. Um, and hoping for a hedgehog I suppose but um we have to they're very shy creatures they're, they come out at night and so you only really get to give them an opportunity to make a home by creating a little kind of cave-like structure um with a lot of leaves in it and then sometimes you get them I just love that uh <laughs> what's the best gardening advice you've ever received uh, to work with the garden, definitely. That's the best I've received is uh, find out what it is first before you start to mess about with it. And that's very hard to do when you're impatient to get going on a new place especially. But just to watch over a period, as long as possible really, but to see um, what is already there that might not be in season yet what bulbs might come up, um, what that spindly little thing in the corner might actually turn out to be, rather than imposing oneself straight away. That was my the 
best I've ever received. And it's always paid off hugely for me. Just, uh, I, I'm sure I would have destroyed um, a number of things at the small holding had I not done that. So I'm curious about like, so you've got all these herbs that tend to be more perennials. Are you like, how much of your allotment is like space for annuals that, you know, things that you have to plant every year compared to perennials? Um, Probably half of it at the moment. Uh, Yeah, probably half of that. And our, our thought was to do things like the onions and garlics some beans pumpkins of course um mm-hmm. don't think we ha- we hadn't planned to do any tomatoes this year this past year this covid year <laughs> um and then things like th- that are they're herbs but uh, they're also kind of like sorrel is very leafy you can make a whole meal out of that can't you the sorrel soup and so forth um so about half of it would be for annuals. Uh, what's your favorite tool? If you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? Hmm. That would, apart from a pocket knife, I can hopefully, hopefully could take that with me. I would, one of those little, um, handheld, a pole hoe, little tiny hoe. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. I don't really, I'm not really into hoeing, but I find that tool, I can just scratch the earth a little bit to to kind of explore what's going on without having to actually dig it. And I've, I just find that a very, very handy tool. How about your favorite recipe? Ooh. It's going to be oh a tough gosh. one for you. <laughs> it is, it is. Oh, give me a time of year or something. Goodness me. Um, hmm. Well, okay. I'm I'm gonna because I've I've cooked it quite recently. I'm gonna say seaweed and potato cutlets. And this is li- really like a. It's really like a, slightly like a hash brown, but with seaweed in it and some onions, and it's very flavorsome and quick to cook. You can cook it from fresh foods or from leftover potatoes. And I've, the reason I mention it is because I've cooked it recently, but also um, because it goes very well with something I'm experimenting with now. And that's tempeh. Have you heard of tempeh? Oh, I just begged my grocer. I'm like, what happened to the tempeh? Why don't you have tempeh in your store anymore? They just okay. discontinued it. I love tempeh. And those potato cutlets are on my list of favorite recipes in your book and one to try (laughs) they look absolutely delicious oh thank you i'm making tempeh at the moment i was given a um a starter kit and i'm on my second batch and it's fascinating and of course you just lightly saw that saute that and marinate it and it goes very well with the seaweed and potato cutlets a starter? How do you make tempeh? I love tempeh. It's my favorite soybean product. Like I love yep. tempeh so much better than tofu. And I cannot believe it. I can't find it anywhere. Well, you would, you'd be perfect to make it. You, you, you yeah. source, source a starter. You can Google that. Just 
um, a tempeh starter. It's I'm not sure if I can pronounce it. It's a Rizzo. It's going to make it sound like a dinosaur. That's okay. This, <laughs> it's it's R H I Z Z O. Gosh, I haven't got it quite in front of me, so I'm fumbling a little bit with it. But it's a, a spore, so it's a kind of a mushroom that converts the soya bean that's partially cooked um, to make it more digestible. And tofu and other soy products can be hard for people to digest. It's a very large protein molecule for soya. And the tempeh starter, the culture, if you like, um, breaks down that protein for us and helps the, the beans stick together into a block, which you can slice and Oh, got me going now. So that I've included a recipe in the, about three recipes in the book that include tempeh. One of them I've called the TLT, the tempeh lettuce and tomato sandwich, because it replaces bacon. Yeah, a, I make yeah. those. You bet. Yeah, and I've mar- included a marinated, and also one that is roasted as with berries. So it's it's a very versatile food. Very high in protein, but very easy to eat and to, and to digest. So I can I can probably send you the link to um, a producer of or provider of one of the uh, starters, if you like, Jackie. Okay, I'm seeing there's all sorts of ones on okay. Amazon. Okay, um, so you... but I don't see that Rizzo one. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind if you sent me the link because I always okay. like to have something somebody recommends and we can drop it in the show notes too Fantastic. uh so was it hard to ma- it wasn't hard to make the tempeh no i mean i set aside time specifically to do it normally i'm running around like a mad thing but um and and that's quite restful when you know that you've got a couple of hours you can just devote to it in fact it's like bread making you do little bits of time but spread out over the course of the day so I suppose I spent um, maybe 25 minutes was the longest patch of time I've spent on it. And the rest, you let it do its own thing. Nice. Uh, well, cool, because like I said, I couldn't believe it. I was like, why there's no tempeh like three weeks in a row going to the supermarket? And, yeah. uh, and then I was like, there's probably frozen at like the health food store, but this is one more yeah. place that you have to go to. How about yeah. a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? Ooh. Ooh. Hmm. Or yeah. a book? Well, a book you book, can recommend? Yeah. Books. I mean, the talking about linking into the land really and gardening and organics um it's it's a pair of books by the same two authors peter Tompkins and christopher bird and they first wrote the secret life of plants and this is ages ago and then they wrote one the secrets of the soil and they're they're a good pair to read together because um you can take it or leave it they go quite a quite a distance into biodynamics as a as a way of gardening um 
but they just they are actively exploring the subjects and of, of both soil and the nature of plants and so those have both inspired me not just in first reading but I've actually kept my copies and I return to them over and over again just in little little segments of them I reread them um, but for the for the internet really I do my seed shopping even if I don't buy the seeds I have that thing of loving seed catalogs and so I browse the seed catalogs that are online and in particular if they are working with heirloom or heritage seeds you know those that are slightly older or more authentic versions of varieties of a plant so there's one called Plants of Distinction, and uh, I also use the Children's Seed Catalog. What's the Children's Seed Catalog? Chiltern with C-H-I-L-T. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, we're down to my final question, which probably, like, thank goodness, this woman's finally going to let me <laughs> off the phone. And then you can tell listeners about your website and where to order your book and all that kind of thing. So... I think you can read along with me, but if there was one change, Peggy, you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Okay, that's an easy one for me to answer. Awesome. Um, yeah. Um, it, it's an environmental matter for me. Um, I, I feel passionate that we have to turn the dial a bit on how we treat the planet and that every one of us can do not just one thing, but a number of things. And they might be considered small things, but in our daily life to just realign the way we think about the planet and how we work with it or against it and the the organization that i'm most impressed with at the moment for this on this topic is in fact you can read it, it if you go to scientist warning it's from the alliance of world scientists and it's a letter um signed by i think more than 13,000 scientists from all over the world from 156 countries and they're saying, we have a crisis coming and we have to act to prevent it or to mitigate it, to lessen it, its impact. And that's not to be scaremongering, but to say, come on, do something, do something now, even something small. And that's where simple things like planting herbs for the bees, pollinators who are endangered now, um, reducing the amount of waste that you produce, uh, perhaps composting, however small, um, the, the raw waste products from your kitchen, and reducing your use of chemicals in the home. All of these things are very simple shifts that you can make in your daily life that will impact on, on the situation. But I'm very happy to say that one of the most powerful changes that people can make is to reduce the amount of animal-based products they consume and to shift towards a plant-based diet. And that's where I can return to my own 80-20 rule, as mentioned in my book, The Content Vegan, um, to say 
you've, you're nearly there. You have approximately 80% of your diet is likely to be plant-based already. And you only have to give that special attention to 20% of it, just to make small changes to gradually shift away in your own time, shift away towards more plant-based uh, products in your in your meals. That was a long answer. <laughs> Peggy, you have been the most delightful guest and the exact reason why last December I changed the name of my podcast from just the Organic Gardener podcast to the Green Organic Garden because uh, this is exactly what I'm looking for. I can't believe I haven't seen this before, but scientists warning microorganisms and climate change, warning climate emergency. Like my mom, like I'm so, I've never argued with my mom so much as I have this fault, which like we're both on the same side. Usually we both like have very similar views, but we've just been like, she's like, Oh, we are saving the world. We're going to do it. I'm like, we're not mom for 30 years. I've been living in Montana for 30 years. I've been using cloth grocery bags. And in those 30 yeah. years, you've been using plastic bags and telling me, Oh, I forget them in the trunk. You have a million excuses. But finally this year, your grocery store started charging you for those plastic bags. So maybe you're bringing your grocery bags to the grocery store. You say you are, I don't know. Cause I haven't been there to see it, but like, what have you been doing? How many plastic bags do you think you've been through? And I did send her Jane Fonda's book. So that's also kind of maybe rubbing your head, but my husband and I are just so frustrated. We're just like, Oh my God, the world is not changing. It's not getting any, it's just getting worse, worse. We're like, like we just both feel like we're ready to explode. My grandkids yeah. are always like, every time we talk to you, it's this environmental thing. But anyway, this is a great think, resource. This is exactly what I'm looking for. This is why fantastic. I asked that question and just thank you so much for sharing with us today, for continuing <laughs> with your mission, for speaking to it. Like you have the softest voice, but yet you're, you're full of just incredible wisdom and and like this gentle way of making it feel like it's okay and I can do this and and it's possible and this other person's doing it and inspiring us and 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 it's just been so lovely to talk to you today so thank you so thank much you. for sharing with my audience you're probably like let me off the phone have no, a no, no, wait no, wait tell everybody great. your website one more time really quick okay it was a very kind words Jackie thank you so much my website is www.peggybrusso.com, and um, you can click there for to join to receive a newsletter from me, as well as a free download called the Vegan Action Plan: Seven Days to Change Your World. And the book, The Contented Vegan, will be launched in the U.S. in March, but you can pre-order from thebooklarder.com, booklarder.com. Um, that's a bookshop specializing in cookery books in Seattle. And chances are good you're going to hear this in April, so just go ahead and order it and buy it for okay. a gift for your mom for Mother's Day, which will be coming up right after that, or for yourself for Mother's Day, or tell your spouse you want it for Mother's Day, or for just whatever for spring or just um, order from the library or get your own copy. Make sure you leave a five-star review for Peggy on Amazon. You'll be able to see my video review because she sent me a pre-order copy. That is just delightful. I mean, the cover alone and just 
it's so lovely. The photos and the recipes are totally doable again. And you don't have to be a vegan if that intimidates you. I know it's intimidated me. Although this is the least intimidating vegan cookbook I've ever seen. You're probably going to oh, be surprised how many like of these recipes you don't have to get anything for. That you already have almost all of this in your cupboard, I'm willing to bet. So, <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing with us. Say sorry it went so long. You are not, just not lovely. Worry. Have a wonderful day. Congratulations on the book. It's just lovely. Thank you, Jackie. That's and keep really sharing, kind. sharing all your golden seeds and wisdom. You're just delightful. Well, we need more you. people like you on the planet. Thank oh, you. thanks for all your work. Oh. Thanks, Peggy. Have a great day. Okay. Bye. All right. Take care, honey. Hey, listeners. Are you wondering how you can grow your own healthy and nutritious food with confidence? Have you been frustrated as a gardener? Does the thought of weeding make your back ache? Have you tried to grow a garden before and found you can't even keep a plant alive? Does the cost of organic produce in the store make you cringe, but the thought of bugs in your garden make your skin crawl? Well, we have the answer for you. Freegardencourse.com. It is so easy. You enter your email. You will watch a video right there. You can get my Organic Oasis checklist, our Essential Tools checklist. It all shows up right on the thank you page. Freegardencourse.com. Hey, listeners. How would you like to support the Green Organic Garden podcast by just donating $5? There's a great site called Cup of Coffee, and um, the way it works is just you donate $5 or $10 or $15. They're all increments of 5 and I get the money directly. Um, there's no, like, monthly, like, subscription like Patreon. Like, you just do it one time. I think you can if you want to sign up for more, but um, you just go there. The link is right at the top of the OrganicGardenerPodcast.com page. I'll try to put the link in the show notes. Buy me a cup of coffee and just help with just some of the bills to keeping the podcast um, up on the air. You know, paying for the website fee for the MP3 to be hosted is like $40 a month alone just right there. You know, I don't mind doing my time, um, you know, to do the interviews, do the editing, um you know, all that stuff. But if you could just help with some of the monthly payments, especially this year, we've really had to tighten our belts as things are growing and I'm trying to do more. Um, I hope you're enjoying the, everything that's been coming out in season three. I think there've been great episodes. I've been trying to provide more content, cup of coffee. Um, it's on organic gardener podcast dot com organic gardener podcast.com on our regular website i'll put the link in the show notes it's like right at the top of the screen i think but it would sure help do you know someone who would benefit from the organic gardener podcast if you like what you hear we'd love it if you'd share the organic gardener podcast with a friend thanks again for listening and remember grow local 